0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for being here. We will continue this evening with our discussion of the Paramatma of Srila Jiva Goswami. We are on the 108th Anucheda of 110 total Anuchetas in the Paramatma Sandarbha. We are discussing at this very end of the Paramatma Sundarbha the fact that throughout the Srimad Bhagavatam there's no subject except the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Swayam Bhagavan Sri Krishna. And at the end of his Paramatma Sundarbha, what Srila Jiva Goswami is doing is he's using um, a common method of determining the subject of any literary uh, text based on a sixfold criteria. So we will go over the sixfold criteria and then proceed. So the sixfold criteria by which one can establish the meaning of a text are the introduction, introductory and concluding remarks or statements, repetition, originality, result, glorification, and logical confirmation. So we have covered the first three of these, and now we are on to the fourth, which is result. So hearing the Bhagavad purana culminates in devotion to Bhagavan. Jiva Goswami writes in his Paramatma Sandarva, Next, it is shown that Bhagavan is also propounded by the result. Fourth of the Sixth Indicators. Then he quotes a verse from the second canto. Those who drink the ambrosia of the stories of Bhagavan, the very self of the devotees, filling up the cups of their ears, purify their hearts that are polluted with sense objects and attain proximity to his lotus feet. He gives a bit of a word for word of the verse, uh, bringing out certain of the Sanskrit words in the text that he just quoted from the Bhagavatam. Uh, One very nice thing in the verse where it says, Mamata Aspantatva. Bhagavan belongs to them as their master. So in the ambrosia of the stories... Mentioned in the verse is primarily a reference to Srimad Bhagavatam, as understood from the context of the verse under discussion. And then he quotes another verse in his Sandarbha from the first canto, seventh chapter. Indeed, in the very act of receptively and attentively hearing this Bhagavat Purana, devotion to Sri Krishna, the Supreme Person, self-manifests in a person's heart, dispelling grief, delusion, and fear. So again, what, he, what we're doing here is he's establishing uh, the significance of the text, Trimad Bhagavatam, uh, by showing, well, what do you get out of it? If you study this text, what's the result of this text? If you read this text, if you apply your intelligence to it, then what is the result? So if you look at any literary contribution that in life one may you know, direct themselves to, uh, then generally from reading anything you come away with something, or you should. Sometimes there are, of course, literary contributions, if we want to call them that, uh, wherein you just Come away with entertainment, but that you come away with something. Oh, I read a novel and I came away with, with some enter. I was I was entertained for some hours. So that was the result of the novel. You may even learn something along the way, like who the villain was, who <laughs> <laughs> the damsel in distress, how she was saved. So many things. Or you may even from the author's point of view come away with some lessons that can be applied to your very life. So this this point here is Jivasgog Swami is establishing what's the Bhagavatam all about. So the criteria there and what one of the criteria is by reading a text, what do you come away with? What's the result of that study? So he's quoted a couple verses to speak to the result of studying the Bhagavad Purana, and we can look to a few more and I just wanted to go over those with you because we see by looking at these other verses the consistency of the message as far as what result can be expected by hearing the Bhagavat Purana. So he's given a couple, as I said, in the very act of receptively and attentively hearing this Bhagavad Purana, devotion to Sri Krishna self manifests in the person's heart. That's from one seven seven. Dispelling grief, delusion and fear. So some other verses and what they bring out. Let's go to the second verse of the Bhagavatam. Dharma projito kaitavotra paramo nimatsaranam satam. The Supreme Lord becomes immediately captured in the heart of the accomplished devotee by hearing Bhagavatam. Immediately captured in the heart is what the verses say. The very second verse of the Bhagavatam just by just by reading bhagavatam you you've you've captured god but the verse goes on even further to extol the virtues of the bhagavat purana and even by those who have suddenly developed a desire to hear it they haven't heard it yet but they want to hear it So even that desire, Srila Vyasadeva is saying in the second verse, even the desire to hear it, not that you even heard it yet, even by the desire to hear it, Krishna is already taking an interest and and is captured by your interest in him. 'Cause we need to remember continually when we're reading Bhagavatam, this is the literary incarnation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So you're applying your intelligence, you're utilizing your your mind in in studying this text in reading this text. It's non different from Krishna himself. So again the result. The result is if you read it, you capture Krishna from the very second verse. And even if you haven't got to reading it yet, but it's on your wish list, it's a book I want to read, Krishna's already taking, you've already captured him. Okay. That's enough. Interest in me. You're showing some interest in me. This does not happen with other works. Reading again from that second verse. In the Bhagavatam alone, created by the Lord Himself, is presented the real, permanent object which can be understood by those without selfish intentions, and which bestows auspiciousness and release from the material world of miseries. In the Bhagavatam alone is presented the process for attaining that highest object, devoid of all material goals and liberation. Let's go on. Does it say this anywhere else in the book, this result that you get? Yes, it does. This is a few other verses. Let's go to the second chapter of the first canto. Nasta prieshu abyeshu nicham Bhagavat sevaya bhagavatyutama sloke bhaktir bhavati naisthikhi What verse is that? 1-2-18 We know it by regular hearing this Bhagavatam, I'm going to read Vishwas' uh, translation. As the impediments to bhakti become generally destroyed by constant service to the devotees and Bhagavatam, the stage of Nista Bhakti to Bhagavan, who is praised by the greatest sages, becomes established. We're also having a Prabhupada's translation by regular hearing this Bhagavatam and rendering service. To the pure devotees, all that is troublesome in the heart is practically destroyed, and devotion to the Supreme Lord is established. Practically? Why not all is totally destroyed? Well, it brings you to the stage of Nista. So that's what the verse specifically is speaking about. Nasta prieshu Eating, beginning, ending with Bhaktir Bhavati Naisdiki. Then we go to the third chapter Krishna Sway Dharma Opa Pagate Dharma Jana Dibi Sahaha. Though Krishna left Dwarka, arriving at Prabhash, and then disappeared along with his six great qualities. This Purana, another form of the sun, has now arisen in Kali Yuga for those who have lost their knowledge. Then let's go to the second canto, first chapter. Though I was fixed in Burman and beyond the Gunas, my mind became attracted to the pastimes of the Lord. I thus learned about his pastimes. I will then tell them to you. I'm sorry, I will tell them to you. You are a great personality who, among the faithful, will quickly fix your pure mind on Krishna. Another result, result being just hearing the mind becomes fixed on Krishna. Then to the seventh chapter of the second canto. After making a sankalpa, after establishing Your intent, that's what it means, sankalpa. I'm going to do this, I'm going to accomplish this, I'm going to drive to town, I'm going to have my breakfast. So any of these things, a sankalpa is something that we intend to do, that we've set our mind on. So after making a sankalpa, you should speak the Bhagavatam in such a way that devotion to Hari, attractor of the mind, Bhagavan, the blissful object of worship, the essence of all worship and the fulfillment of all desires will appear in the people of Kali Yuga. No, I'm sorry, that's Brahma instructing Narada to teach the Bhagavatam with the intention that people may develop bhakti towards Bhagavan. Second Canto, 7th chapter, 52nd verse. One of two final verses. Srinvatā, Swa Chestitam Kalena Nati Dirgaina Bhagavan V Sate The Lord quickly enters the heart of the devotee, who, with faith, continuously hears and chants about the Lord's activities. And a final verse from the Bhagavatam showing beyond any Shadow of a doubt that the result of studying Bhagavatam is the subject of the Bhagavatam, the Supreme Lord. Twelfth Canto, Thirteenth Chapter. Srimad Bhagavatam Puranam, Amalam Yad, Vaishnavanam Priyam. This glorious Bhagavatam is the spotless Purana and therefore dear to the Vaishnavs. It also describes pure Gyan, beneficial even for Paramahansas. This Bhagavatam rejects the process of karma and is endowed with the process of Gyan, Vairagya, and Bhakti. Anyone who contemplates Srimad Bhagavatam and who properly hears and chants it with devotion becomes completely liberated. So 108th anucheda showing us that uh, the results that are extolled throughout the Bhagavatam are the subject of the Bhagavatam, and that result is attainment of devotion for the Supreme Personality of Godhead in His original form. Let's go on to the 109th anucheda. So the fifth of the criteria is glorification. There's not a lot to say there because, I mean, the Bhagavatam is nothing about but glorification and prayers to the subject of the Bhagavatam. Jiva writes here in his 109th Anachita, It is next shown that Bhagavan is the principal subject of the Bhagavatam by glorification. Arthur Vod. Fifth of the sixth indicators, as Sri Sukha said, and then he quotes from the 12th canto again, 13th chapter. Obeisances, again, this is glorification, so he's quoting one verse obeisances to that supreme deity, Deva, whom Brahma, Varuna, Indra, Rudra, and the Maruts praise with divine hymns and through the Vedas whom the reciters of the Samaveda sing of through the Vedas, along with their subordinate branches of knowledge, their various methods of recitation and the Upanishads, whom the yogis see with minds fixed on him in the stillness of meditation and whose limbs are unknown either to the host of gods or to the asuras. Arthur Vaughan that which is praised the most in a book must be its principal subject. And thus we come to the very final Anucheta of the Paramatma Sundarva, wherein the sixth of the sixfold criteria is presented logical confirmation. Now, one could certainly question what's the room for logic when we know that it, he, Jiva Goswami's already established earlier that we can't arrive at full knowledge of the Supreme through logic. He's beyond logic, he's beyond our reasoning ability. So, wh- if we look at the criteria of of, the, of a book, and this final criteria is logic, how does that apply? So Jiva's going to show it does apply. It's not that logic is completely discounted in our pursuit of spiritual understanding. It's just that through logic alone, we cannot come to a complete and comprehensive understanding of the Supreme Absolute Truth. So Jiva writes here, And finally, by logical confirmation, Upapati, the sixth indicator, also Bhagavad is understood as the subject of the Bhagavatam, as Sri Suka said. And then he quotes from the second canto, second chapter, the following Verse. Bhagavan Sri Hari is indicated as imminent within all living beings through his own self-expansion by virtue of the fact that the intellect and so on are perceptible objects of subjective subjective awareness, drisjyai. The existence of a self-luminous seer drasta, is concluded through corresponding indications, laksanae, pointed to such as self-luminous seer, and through inference, anuma pakai. I'm going to go to the commentary. This is kind of a, 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 a deep anucheta, because again, we're going back to logic and how, how to logically arrive at a conclusion. So I'm going to go to the commentary and just pull out the what's going to be presented in the Anucheta, and then we'll go over some of the highlights in the Anucheta without going deeply into all the minutia of the logical presentation here. I think it'll be an approach where we'll understand what Jiva's uh, bringing across in, in in a in a way that we can comprehend it thoroughly and not be if we, if we if we could kind of see, kind of see the road map of where he's going it'll be easier to to go through uh, his presentation what jeeva's going to use here is a three part inference three steps of inference to bring us to the logical conclusion that the subject the subject of the book can be understood as bhagavan the supreme personality of godhead it's kind of interesting that this is the concluding Anucheta, and it's kind of interesting that what's being presented here is a logical way of seeing the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And one would question, by looking at the Anucheta in, con- in the context of what Jiva is saying, how it really fits into the whole scheme of presenting the, the subject of the Bhagavatam as being the Supreme Lord, Krishna. But he still puts it here and gives us a logical way of looking at what's presented so that we can arrive at that conclusion because logic is the sixth criteria. So he's sticking with the the general principle of how do you determine. So you can logically determine also what's the subject of a text. Now, I'm going to use this logic to determine that the subject of the Bhagavatam can only be Bhagavan Sri Krishna. So the first step, this is from the commentary. The first step is to establish the existence of the living being, the jiva in the body by distinguishing it from the perceptible inert objects, including both the gross and subtle bodies. Inert objects cannot be perceived without the presence of a conscious being as perceiving subject dristra. I'm sorry, Drastri. Since our inert object, since one inert object cannot illuminate or be aware of another, so we'll see as we go back to the Adyata that what he's going to show is the jiva is the illuminating, the consciousness of the jiva is what illuminates the body, gives us the the ability to utilize the intellect. The second of the three-step inference, the next step is to infer the existence of Paramatma. So first, we need to infer the existence of the Jiva. So in the Anucheda, Jiva Goswami is going to infer the existence of the Jiva based on the fact there has to be a, a consciousness, an awareness in in the body that allows the body to perceive existence. There has to be. Because mind, intelligence, false ego, these are all material. They're inert. They have no, no awareness independent of the jiva. Intelligence without a jiva, there's nothing nothing to drive it. The mind without a jiva, take the jiva away from the mind, the mind can't make distinctions, accepting this and rejecting that. There has to be consciousness there. So the first thing is, let's establish the jiva. So within a body, unless there's consciousness, intellect will not function consciousness and what the way it's being presented the analogy here is consciousness is that is that illumination which allows intellect mind the senses the whole the whole machinery of the material body to function remove the consciousness none of it works All right, so we established that there has to be a jiva. That's the logic. And the logic used is there has to be a jiva because something's animating this machine. Mm -hmm. It's not intellect alone. We can see sometimes the machine is animated and there's intellect is telling, you know, not even there, intelligence. You can take the intelligence away from the machine and it still functions. We call that suspended animation or uh, veg- vegetable state. <laughs> right? You can, ha- you can keep the body running, but it's not that the intellect is that Consciousness within the body because we can have a conscious body a body that's still animated without any intelligence without any use of the mind even so we've established the jiva, step one the next step is to infer the existence of paramatma alright, so we know there's a jiva there how do we infer the paramatmas there? a partial expansion of Bhagavan. So since the Jiva's agency and experiencing capacity are not observed to be independent, they cannot function without a superior regulator who oversees the results of their actions. There has to be a Paramatma. We don't determine our own karma. It would be, well, we do, but I mean... We don't also. Karma's coming. We can change what the what is coming through our actions now, but the fact that it's it's thrust upon us based on our actions, we didn't do that. So there has to be some higher agent than ourself within this body. There has to be a regulator of these things who oversees the results of our of the actions. This cannot be affected by karma alone as proposed by Mimamsakas since karma is also inert. Karma has no consciousness. Karma is, is just the result of activities. It's material. It's not in and of itself, a conscious entity. Those that wield our karma, those that arrange for our, that arrange everything so that we have a destiny, there has to be somebody to do that. Or somebody buddies to do that. So, those... That this, Jiva says, proves there has to be, a, there has to be a, a higher agent within the body. So we know that there has to be an agent in the body because there's action of the body. And we know that that actor, the Jiva, can only do so much. And that he's not fully independent. If we were fully independent, would we have been born here now? If you, had the, if you had been the one to make the choice, would you have arranged for the body you're now inhabiting for your existence? Would you have made that arrangement? I wouldn't have. I'm not really content with where I was put this time around, on one hand. On the other hand, I'm blessed beyond my imagination by the sadhus and the devotees and, you know, I've been blessed by good association, but that's outside of the realm of the family I was born in and the karma I came into life with. It's just been been, I've been struggling with it for for so long now and who knows how much longer but we there had to be another agent you had good music though I've always said that I was born into the age of the best music oh. not good music <laughs> but that also is subjective I'm sure yeah Therefore, there must be an Asvara, or a supreme regulator of all living beings and material nature. This regulator is Paramatma. All right, so we've inferred the Jiva, and from the Jiva we've inferred a controller, Paramatma. But as I said, this is a, a threefold unfoldment of the fact that there is the supreme Absolute, Swayam, Bhagavan, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. How do we get from Paramatma to the Supreme Lord logically? So in the Anacheda, the third step is to infer the existence of Bhagavan from Paramatma. Since Paramatma enacts only the limited function of regulating material nature and the jiva, there must be a superior entity or a supreme deity who is beyond such managerial functions and engaged in his own playful, blissful play. This is Bhagavan. There has to be a regulator above Paramatma who's not in a position where he's bound by that service or function now when we look when we look at the paramatma feature of the supreme lord we, what nomenclature can we apply we can't apply that nomenclature of service why Because, what's Paramatma's ontological position? It's not Bhagavan Sri Krishna. It's that other aspect. Ultimately, all of these Vishnu manifestations of Paramatma, threefold... Karna Dakshai, Kashira Dakshai, Garbo Dakshai. Who is that? Mahavishnu. No, three. Mahavishnu is one of them. Oh, oh Sankarshan. Who's Sankarshan? Bala. Who's Balaram? The greatest servant. Yes. He's the servant aspect, he's in the servant position. He's the supreme personality of servant godhead, of his own volition. But that's that's the complete picture of the supreme. So when we think of Balaram and his manifestations, and what do we accept the guru as? A manifestation of, of Balaram? I mean when we look to Balaram's position, he's always himself personally, even in Gokul, he takes a secondary position as, as the, the servant brother. He's the one that's looking out for Krishna, that's protecting Krishna. Take that throughout the, the spiritual realm, even down into the material realm, and He's constantly in the putting himself, by his own choice, in that servant position. So, paramatma is his extension, his expansion. What do you mean by it's his own choice? Isn't it just who he is? He's not choosing who he is. Well, yeah, it's his, it's his nature. Yeah. But he's also completely independent. Ontologically, Balaram is completely independent. So, what's the difference between Krishna and Balaram? Color. When we say it's of his own volition, of his own choice, because he's completely independent. to That's the choice he makes, but it's not a choice that's forced upon him. That's his loving exchange with himself as Krishna. So that's why when we look to Paramatma ontologically here in this context that there has to be, through this logic, arriving, arrival at the fact that there is a Bhagavan, Swayam Bhagavan, who's independent of the responsibility that Balaram's taken on the responsibility of doing all the heavy lifting for Krishna. I'll make the universes, I'll manifest them, they'll come from my pores, I'll enter into them, I'll sustain them, I'll enter into each... Each. You can just keep playing. I mean, if we want to look ontologically at what is the position of these other... of of all of the... The Paramatma feature of the Supreme Absolute Truth, it's it's that ontological position. The Supreme Personality of Servitor Godhead. But there has to be somebody being served, and that's why I'm Bhagavan Sri Krishna. So whether Balaram's in his... In the Le- Krishna's Leela in his play or whether he's taken on all these other responsibilities out of his profound love for Krishna that no one except Radha could even begin to to taste. The inferential statements are as follows. Now this is also from the commentary. so we're going to go through a list of these statements and then in the next class, uh, we will go directly into the Anucheda and see how, what evidences Jiva Goswami presents, how he presents them directly in the Anucheda. So the inferential statements are as follows: One, there is a conscious subject in the body because inert objects cannot be known without a conscious seer, just as a table cannot perceive anything. So there has to be some consciousness there. So there has to be the jiva. The intellect requires an agent in the form of the jiva because it is an instrument like an axe. The intellect is just, it's another tool that's used by the jiva. Without the jiva? So, what's the tool? The tool is the field of activity. Kshetra. So that shektrajna is the is the agent of action. So mind, intelligence, false ego are the subtle body, but they're also inert. Sometimes it doesn't seem like they're inert, <laughs> but they are. We I know it's a struggle. We are always the mind's always there telling us to do one thing or another. But guess what? We don't have to it's not really another thing it's us it's gained some strength from the impressions that we've accumulated and accepted as a reasonable existence that we want to experience so we have these impressions on the mind on the chitta that of that we our what do we say? We're we we've latched on to such an extent that even when we want to change, when we want to reprogram, when we want to change what in life is of value to us, when we want to change the direction that we're going in, when when we want to change what we're looking at we want to turn our consciousness towards the Supreme Lord and the mind saying, no, you don't. That's us saying, no, we don't. When we can start to recognize that, then we are beginning the process of self-realization. We're saying, the mind, we've conditioned the mind, nobody else did it but ourself. We're the ones that's made choices since time immemorial that's brought us to the place where we are now where the mind, it seems like it's somebody else in there. No, you don't want to do this. You don't want to get up. Aren't you tired? Those are all impressions that we ourselves have accepted as our existence. That acceptance is a hankar. I, I, me, mind. I, me, mind. I listen to my mind, but it's not you. You're the one that's made the determination and, and programmed yourself through repeat, repeated impressions of what's enjoyable to you. We've all brought ourselves to this position to where the mind sometimes is in opposition to what we want now but it's 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 not it's not conscious it's not aware we're the only one that gives it any power what a thought to have what a way to think to start recognizing yeah i don't really have to listen to you right now but on the other hand Arjuna said, what are you talking about? Controlling the mind? The mind is, I might as well try to go out and capture the wind. But Krishna said, no, just (laughs) constant practice and detachment. You'll find out, really, you did, you're the one that fed this, Idea through prior impressions to where it's influencing you now. It's not the wind, but so gradual practice and detachment, it is controllable. The jiva must have an inner impeller because it is not independent, like a servant, meaning we're forced to serve our environment. There has to be something above us that's we're like a slave. We're not deciding if it's gonna rain or snow. We're not deciding what the temperature's going to be tomorrow. We're not deciding when we're gonna be hit by that bus when we're gonna drop the pot on our toe. None of these things. This is all destiny that's coming. Somebody else's is pulling those strings. So there has to be somebody else. The jiva must have an inner controller to melt out the results of its karma because karma is inert like a table. Paramama must be an integrated portion of a supreme, all-encompassing whole because he is incomplete and subordinate like the manager of a firm. So really, it seems to be a little, you know, a little bit in in opposition to the main premise of the second and third sandharvas, Vedati tat tattva vidas tattvam yana madvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan But really... It's not. And it's not because when we look to these different ways of seeing the supreme non-dual absolute, when we look to Brahman without any qualifications, then what can Brahman do? Because it, it has no capacity to do anything if it's it's non-distinct. So similarly when we think of the concept and the position of Paramatma we think of Paramatma only in relationship to the external manifestation. So this whole Paramatma Sundarbha has been devoted to what? To, to that understanding of what is Paramatma and what are Paramatma's shaktis and Paramatma's principal shaktis are two Tathasta shakti and Bahiranga shakti the jiva and the material energy. So in our next discussion we'll go over the details and there's a strong possibility that uh, we may uh, complete the Paramatmasandarva. If not, it will be when we go through it completely and we've got this logic down. But we can see the logic's kind of, we see where Jiva's going with it. He's So now we're just going to go over it and show how he brings that out and then some concluding remarks on the Paramatmasandarva. Are there any questions? All right. Thank you much for your association.